Hi everyone, it's Steve Wiss here, joined by Jonathan Fadugra for a special edition of the Nordic Football Podcast, an unexpected edition, I might add. Um, how are you doing, John? Very well, thank you, Steve. Uh, uh, we had to get back together, of course, and reunite uh, due to the big breaking news uh, coming out of, well, Scandinavian football, really, I suppose, and also English football, uh, with the announcement that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has returned to his, uh, the prodigal son, has returned to his home at Manchester United from, from Older. Massive news, wasn't it, Stephen? We were talking about it this morning and thought, well, we've got to, we've got to uh, do a little pod on it, haven't we? Yeah, better. well, I mean, I was surprised yesterday when he was linked with the with the job, the interim job, uh, but it soon became apparent that it was going to be uh, confirmed. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's such a big story that uh, it would be foolish not to um, to talk about it. Everyone else wants to talk about it right now. And I think <laughs> there's a lot of Man United fans out there who are interested in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So. Um, you know, obviously, I've been following the Norwegian league ever since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been a manager up there. So uh, I'm going to give my uh, ten pence worth of that. Uh, yeah, we're going to uh, we're going to break it down. Uh, so this is going to be a specifically uh, Norwegian football podcast, I guess, uh, bringing in your expertise and obviously from my point of view as someone who's followed Manchester United very closely uh, over the years. Um, I'm keen to hear give some input on Solskjaer. From a Manchester United perspective, so um, forget Sweden this week, I'm afraid, guys. But yeah, Norway's the focus. We're going to delve into it. I mean, firstly, let's let's go back, I suppose, and um, very briefly touch on Jose Mourinho. I guess uh, that's the best place to, to begin, I imagine. Um, and then we'll talk about the rumours that came out <clears throat> in terms of Solskjaer, and then we're going to talk about his tactics, his his philosophies, uh, how he's actually adapted his coaching over the years in terms of Cardiff, and obviously at Mulder. Uh, Two spells there, and so he's like, "Or is this just a kind of a bit of a stopgap and a bit of a random, uh, you know, random bit of thinking from the club?" So, um, Steve, let's very briefly just get your thoughts on uh, the whole Ferrari. Obviously, it's a world story as well as a as well as a Scandinavian story in a sense. Uh, Jose Mourinho, uh, right decision or wrong decision to sack him? A right decision to sack him, definitely. Um, the problem with Jose Mourinho, um, he was ne- for me never the right fit at Man United. Um, he is a great tactical coach, is Jose Mourinho. There's no doubt about that. History proves that. Unfortunately, these days, I think, I don't think a lot of the top players want to play his style of football. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of these players like Paul Pogba, for example, guys like that, they want to show off their flair and attacking creativity. And the other problem with Mourinho is that, I say he's a great tactical coach. He's not a, he's not a player development coach at all. He doesn't develop players in any way. He needs the players there to be the finished article already. And um, I think the problem with United, there's not been enough of those type of players and uh, everyone stayed still. And uh, so, yeah, for me, it was the right decision to get rid of him. Um, it just, it was going nowhere. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I probably agree with you. I think the Liverpool game was um, endemic of the problems at United. My big worry really is in, in terms of it from a perspective, obviously, um, some people, well, man, you know, Man United is my team. Ultimately, there's no point me trying to deny it on this pod. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to hold, hide my allegiance to them. Um, as a fan, just looking at it and the terrible season that's happened so far, I think it looked inevitable in terms of his dour demeanour. He just didn't seem interested. How I think bad was the concern? From a United perspective, is I mean, I've said for a while on Twitter and places like that, obviously, and you can follow us. Um, but I've said for a while that. I don't understand the strategy of the club, where exactly is the club going, what is the overall direction of the club. 
Um, and this sacking and this appointment of Solskjaer kind of makes me question what exactly is happening. Um, so let's touch on it. I mean, you're going from a manager who, if you look at it from the club's perspective, they've hired, they've gone from a manager who is a winner at all costs manager, uh, who likes experience, who has his own set way of doing things uh, very successfully, um, but ultimately unsuccessfully at Manchester United in general uh, in terms of winning the league. Um, and he's, they're going from that to a completely different, you know, bringing back Mike Phelan, who's been announced as the assistant manager, bringing back a club legend, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, European Cup winning uh, goal scorer in 1999. Um, basically someone with a link to the club, but not necessarily someone with a wealth of managerial experience. So I guess the real question from a Manchester United perspective uh, and even a Norwegian football perspective is, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer ready to lead one of the biggest clubs in the world? So we're going to touch on uh, Solskjaer, really, and that's the main debate we're going to have here. Steve, you followed Solskjaer for many years, uh, and Mulder as well. Give us your initial thoughts on the appointment. Um, well, you know, it's if you said to me a short list of interim managers, I think it's fair to say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might have made the top ten on the list. I doubt he would have made the top five list in most people's... Uh, I mean, is he ready for taking on a big club like this? In my personal opinion, no, but sometimes needs must, don't they? They had to bring back someone who had strong links to the club. Simple as that. I mean, do, do, do you want to appoint someone like Steve Bruce or Mark Hughes? Not really, because they play awful football, don't they? So you've got to try and bring someone back, you know, that Salkshire was the manager of the, was it the Man United youth team, John? You'll know better than me here. Um, back around 2010, I think it was. Um, but anyway, he, he had a coaching position at the club for quite a while, didn't he? Um, so at least he has that. He did, yeah. Um, and then he's had he's had two stints at Mulder and and obviously the eight months at Cardiff, um, where he didn't really do himself justice. He, in terms of tactics, it's going to be a complete flip from Mourinho. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a far more attack-minded manager, almost to a detrimental effect, actually. Um, if you would say some of his weaknesses is that his teams are simply not solid enough sometimes. So it's going to be an absolute a massive change for the fans. They've been crying out for more attacking football. And, you know, it, it might even get to the stage of sort of Kevin Keegan in the 1990s at Newcastle. Uh, well, maybe not to that degree, but it will be, it really will be a massive difference. He he, he really will gamble a lot, an awful lot with Solskjaer. And I think we can see, expect to see a big change in the philosophy of the team. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've got some stats here in terms of his how he's performed. So um, uh, we'll look through his stats first, and then I want to discuss. Uh, we'll, we'll dig deeper into his, his tactics and philosophies uh, shortly. Uh, his first spell at Mulder, he played 123 games in charge as manager. He won 68, uh, drew 24, and lost 31. Uh, win rate percentage of 55%. Obviously, was famously uh, won the Mulder's first title, I think, in the history. I'm, I'm right in saying. Yeah. Uh, and he won two league titles, didn't he, Steve? Yeah, he did. He did very well there. I think one thing I've, um, that's always stood out for me is when he has been given talent to work with, he's generally succeeded. If you look at the times he's had a, a you know tough periods at Mulder, it's when they've lost big players in the transfer window. For example, when when he's been given talented squads, he's generally delivered the goods. I mean, look look at this season. You know, when they had uh, Erling Braut Haaland, who was clearly one the best player in the league, really. Um, he's now been sold to, uh, to Salzburg as well. But, um, you know, the way he brought that player on, 
he can quite clearly recognise talent, develop them and get the best out of them. Uh, the problem is sometimes when the chips are a bit down, um, when, when, when the, the cupboard's a bit bare, he has struggled. But there's going to be plenty of talent for him to work with at Man United. So in that respect, I'm quite positive about his chances. Um, and yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Brett Harland is, a, for those who are unfamiliar, is the latter part of his career. He's obviously the son of, um, of Alvinga Harland, uh, famously with the Roy Keane incident there uh, when he was at United. Um, that's his sort of more recent career. And actually, there's a bit of a hint of Solskjaer's ultimate loyalties there when he, he famously described Brett Harland as similar to Romelu Lukaku in his, in his style. So he's obviously always got an eye on Manchester United. Um, looking at his first stint, though, Steve, what, what, what were the keys to his sort of title-winning success? What would you put it down to? Was it, was it him buying players? Was it him developing players? I mean, he, he was hired at Mulder off the back of um, for being very successful as a Manchester United youth coach. And he's famously coached Paul Pogba, for example, who, who will be a key part of his plans, we'd, we'd assume. In his first part of spell at uh, Mulder, what was the key to his, his success there? I think attacking ability. Um, he blew away the league, really. With um, They often dominated teams with, uh, you know, not just in terms of chances and, and, and goals, but possession as well. Uh, that was the key. There was one season, I think they only lost one match in the whole year, which was very impressive in, in the actual league campaign anyway. And, um, you know, he, he showed that when he was given sort of the best squad on paper, or one of the best squads on paper, he could deliver um, the goods. Um, that In his first stint anyway, I think it was a, a more um, regimented sort of, uh, in terms of approach, there were, you knew what you were going get to from, get from them week in, week out. Um, in his second spell, interestingly, things changed a little bit and he was a lot more unpredictable in terms of tactics and style and player positions. I mean, the, the one thing I will say, he is not afraid to play players anywhere on the pitch. I've seen him convert centre-backs into uh, midfielders, wingers. Um, you know, guys are going all over the place. So I think the Man United players are going to have to expect uh, a bit of interchanging around, which they probably might enjoy after the... The boring, you know, Mourinho era where, you know, they're asked to do one job, one job only. So he's going to bring a bit of variety to the team. But at the same time, is that a bit risky? I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, also, it's worth bearing in mind is his honours at Mulder includes also a Norwegian Cup. Um, in 2012, I think it was, he was given permission to speak to Aston Villa. So he obviously had a very successful spell in Norway, which was very high profile due to his United connections. Um, but it didn't quite, he didn't quite accept the Aston Villa job. He wasn't happy with it and didn't take the job. Carried on a more the one that won the Norwegian Cup. Um, Steve, I, th- I can't think. I suppose you mentioned there his tactical versatility and his, his willingness to play players out of position. Obviously, he moved on to Cardiff um, after after Mulder, um, and you know ultimately the club were relegated, so he was quite unsuccessful there. His uh, managerial statistics uh, with Cardiff were played 30, 30 games played. He won nine, uh, drew five, and lost sixteen. So lost more than half the games and had a win rate percentage of 30%. He recently, I mean, he's famously said, obviously, after um, leaving, he said that he learned a lot of Card- a lot at Cardiff, a uh, quote from him, and he, he wouldn't want to be without that time. He reflected a lot on what happened, and he realised that maybe he wasn't as good a manager and as mature a manager as he thought he was. Um, so that was a bit of a down period for him there at Cardiff. We won't touch on that too much. I mean, um, we all know what happened with Cardiff and how, you know the success or lack of it he had. What did he learn from that spell? You mentioned that he's matured a lot. And what did he take back to him uh, when he went back to Norway and with Mulder? What's, what's changed since, if anything? Well, I think beforehand, he only knew kind of one way to go about the game. 
And uh, the other thing, he went from obviously a team that was dominant in his league to, you know, with all due respect to Cardiff, they had one of the worst squads on paper, didn't they? And sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a saying, I think, uh, you know, you can't really polish a turd, can you? And um, I think at Cardiff, that was one of the issues there. But uh, he came back and he's a lot more adaptable now. Um, I think sometimes if he's given problems in the middle of a game, he seems to be able to handle them better. I think his match preparation has been better. And uh, I guess behind the scenes, maybe his man management has improved. You know, remember at Mulder, he only ever knew good times, really, apart from his last season when it went a little bit pear-shaped. At Cardiff, he, you know, he, under, he underwent um, a bad period. And sometimes you have to go... You have to have the highs and lows in management or in any form of life, don't you, John? To, to sort of, uh, he's picked himself up pretty well. Um, obviously, this is a bit of a shock move and a, a surprise for a lot of people, but he's got to try and take it with uh, with both arms now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what, I mean, it's all. I think it's actually, to be honest, from a United perspective, it's always actually quite a good thing to have a bit of failure in your career because you can learn. I think it might, have in many ways, be more worrying actually if you've just gone from Mulder directly to the Premier League without any kind of experience. So I think that that, to a certain extent, can be spun in a in a positive way. To be fair, um, you learn things and you come back. Uh, the famous big managers have had other, you know, uh, disappointments in their careers and, and have come back. So I think that's that's not a bad thing. He's not quite had the success though in his second spell at Mulder. Is that due to lack of spending? Is that just due to maybe uh, the magic touch has gone? I mean, it's probably one of his biggest achievements um, since his return is, is he got Mulder out of the Europa League group stages, um, beat Fenerbahce away and also Celtic home and away, which was a massive achievement for a club of that size. But apart from that, he hasn't really translated the success into more league titles. Um, we talked about Mulder this season on the podcast very often um, in terms of them trying to challenge Rosenborg, but they haven't been able to do so, Steve. Why, why is that? I think it's because Rosenborg have become a bit of a machine, you know, they're a club with all the big resources, the bigger squad depth. And I think the problem is that Mulder had a couple of periods in the season where they just went flat. One of them was when they were in the Europa League qualifiers in uh, July and August. So I'm willing to let them off the hook a little bit there. They had to focus so much on trying to qualify for the group stages there. They very nearly, nearly did, by the way, and, and played some really good football in this uh, qualification run. Um, and you can't afford flat spots like that in a league where it's only 30 league, uh, matches in a season and when you're battling against a dominant team, you cannot afford those slip-ups. Um, but in, his record in the big games was really good. He beat Brand twice. Uh, he beat Rosenborg uh, as well at home. Absolutely battered them, in fact. So that was probably one of Rosenborg's worst performances of the season. Um, so, yeah, his record in the big games is good. Um, it's just it's just to win a league up there when you're facing a dominant team, you've got to be perfect throughout the whole season. And they all had too many flat spots. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, and let's look at the transfer market. I mean, I know, Steve, and you know, I'm not going to let you get away with this live on the podcast now. You've not really enjoyed Mulder, have you, uh, generally over the years? You, you, you can never predict their lineups, uh, as you've, you've said to me before and you said on the pod as well before. You find them hard to predict in terms of what, what, what tactics they'll go for, what, predict, what lineups they'll select, um, which is an interesting reflection on Solskjaer, I guess, as a manager. Um, what have you been, you know, what will he do tactically? Um, that he might translate to United and how, how has he been? If someone who's maybe never watched Mulder before, you know, what's it like covering Mulder um, from your perspective as an analyst? Well, very hard to cover Mulder because, A, there's never an awful lot of information that came out of the club itself. Um, obviously, it's completely different at United where journalists are demanding to know everything they possibly can. So he's going to find that's a massive difference for him. He's got to deal with the media and that is a big, big challenge for someone you know, moving from a club like Mulder. Um, in the last sort of two or three months, he 
he settled into a more 4-3-3 system, which was very consistent. So whether or not he'll start that off at United, I don't know. It could work, really, couldn't it? When you think about it, say Lukaku up front, Marshall on the right, Alexis maybe when he's fit and hopefully getting him firing. So, yeah, maybe you could start with a 4-3-3, but I think we can expect the unexpected with um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, um, I, I mean, I read something today about how Mourinho was really pissed off that a lot of his lineups were apparently revealed um, in, in 24 hours in advance of the game sometimes. I think with Solskjaer, it's a little bit different because um, he's, he changed his mind a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's worth bearing in mind at this point before you move on to talking about mm. Manchester United that um, this is actually a temporary agreement. Uh, so Mulder have announced that um, he will return to Mulder uh, in May 2019. Uh, he'll become the temporary manager of Manchester United. And um, they have an interim manager in, in, in immediate effect. Uh, Erling Moore will take, take training for Mulder. Uh, it's worth bearing in mind the season there has already finished. So he's got a bit of free time on his hands, maybe. Um, and then he will return to Mulder in May uh, 2019. So this isn't a permanent job as yet. Um, the chief executive of Mulder stated it that Manchester United asked Mulder to lend their manager is by itself an event and a statement of trust for both Ole Gunnar and Mulder FK. We're happy to lend United Ole Gunnar and we wish him success uh, and him and the club success. Now, let's move on to the United uh, part of this. I suppose, Steve, the questions are going to be from you to me on this one, yeah. but, but uh, let's start with a question for you. Uh, will he be successful at United uh, and what are your thoughts? Uh, briefly from me, I think... Um... I mean, United fans are crying out for more attacking uh, football. He's going to deliver that. In terms of results, really, there's only two competitions that matter now for United, and that's the Champions League and the FA Cup, because in the league, they might as well finish 10th, you know? Do they really want to finish 6th even? So, um, from my point of view, his success will be based on two competitions. Um, but long-term down the line, John, I mean, in terms of Man United... What sort of manager do they need to turn them around? And is it just about the manager? Do they need to actually turn around the whole boardroom above? You know, there's too many issues going on at United, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think from a Norwegian, I suppose, point of view, this this isn't necessarily relevant. But from from a United point of view, from a world story point of view, this is massive, I think. Um I think it says a lot about the club and where they are in their positioning and their thinking. I think, to be honest, it's a bit of a, a shambolic background uh, here, really. And I think Mourinho, to a certain extent, I think can be felt sorry for, to, uh, in a way, for that. I don't think many people will have sympathy for him. He's not, he's not the most popular guy, is he? Let's face it. But uh, I think there is a bit of an element of sympathy from my point of view for him, simply because he had a three-year contract. He was given a new contract in the summer. If you're not going to keep your manager... Why give him a new contract in the summer? Uh, he was given then a new contract and then not backed in the summer. So essentially, they've changed their mind and said, well, uh, actually, we're not going to give you the signings you want. Um, and then they've sacked him. Obviously, I think Mourinho, if you contrast it with Mauricio Pochettino, who's the long-term target ultimately for Manchester United, it seems. Pochettino wasn't able to spend any money in the summer. Mourinho spent at least £50 million on Fred, uh, who didn't even get in the squad against Liverpool and was still fit. Um and the difference between the two is obviously Pochettino didn't complain. He's got on with the job. He's made little hints at sort of not being happy uh, with the sp- lack of spending. But he's not been sort of looking like a morose figure that he has, complaining and moaning about it. Um, whereas Mourinho has made a point of not being able to spend as much as he would like in pretty much every press conference. 
um, which has really lowered the mood of the club. I think when you're at United, um, there's a certain way that you have to conduct yourself as well. Uh, I read earlier today in the Times that apparently um, he turned up to the Munich Memorial in a, in a hoodie, which really angered the club hierarchy, the likes of um, Sir Bobby Charlton and, and the club hierarchy in general. And, you know, that kind of thing is not going to endear yourself to, to, the, to the people at Manchester United. But really, when you look at it, I, I point the finger at Ed Woodward and I point the finger at the Glazers. And I think the strategy is just completely lacking. If you look at Solskjaer's appointment, like I said at the beginning of the show, it just points to kind of like a bit of randomness. Well, we've got a guy in place who's experienced. He, he's won the league. Oh, it's not going so well. Let's hire the club fan favourite and just see what happens. They need to nail this next six months uh, with Solskjaer in charge. I mean, I can see a situation where if, let's say, he loses three or four games, what, what happens? Do they replace the interim manager? Or, you know, do they rip up again and start again? Or do they accept, you know, if Solskjaer doesn't do too well? and he's 10th in the table or something, do they push the button or do they just say, listen, this season's a write-off? And the thing is, Steve, you're almost writing off two seasons because this season is now pretty much a write-off. I mean, there's PSG in the Champions League, but few people will expect him to do well there, Solskjaer, unless it's a sort of Roberto Di Matteo at Chelsea effect and, and he can somehow miraculously win the Champions League, which would be quite some story. But um, realistically, you know, the season's kind of a write-off now in that sense. He, if he's an interim manager going back to Moldo, you, you doubt he'll be able to buy anyone in January. He won't be able to affect transfers, you'd imagine. Um, and if he can, it would have to be in agreement with the next manager, wouldn't it? I mean, where would that put the next manager? So then in the summer, they're going to have to hire a new manager, and that's kind of pressing the reset button again. So, you know, you're then looking at it as six managers. So you've had Moyes, you know, Van Gaal, Mourinho, obviously Solskjaer. Um, you know, in the period from Ferguson to, to you know, the next manager, whoever it will be, will, 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 be, will have been six managers in, in that period of time. And it just points to the randomness at United. And I think the fingers really have to be pointed at Ed Woodward, really, uh, as well. I think uh, I mean, one question I've got to ask you here now is because we're going from Mourinho to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, Jose Mourinho is one of the biggest characters in football. You know, he probably considered himself bigger than the football club itself at times, which is probably one of his down, down points and one of the reasons why he has ended up getting sacked. But... He would have always considered himself above the players. Are we in a position now where we're going to be, you know, there's five or six, you know, really big name stars and they're going to consider themselves above Solskjaer, you know, Paul Pogba and that. Is Solskjaer going to be better off sort of, I'm not saying giving in to, the, to player power, but sort of being quite relaxed and sort of giving them, uh, what, what's the word, sort of the, the opportunity to express themselves more? Yeah, I think that's going to be a key thing for him. He's going to have to um, go in and express himself as a manager. I think the fans are dying for kind of attacking football, really, um, playing the United way. I think one of the problems with Mourinho is it's just become tactically out outdated, I'll be honest. If you looked at the Liverpool game, uh, for example, looking at the way Klopp organises his team, Klopp had quite a few injuries in that game. The defence was quite weakened, but it didn't impact their style of play. Um, tactically, he was outthought. Mourinho played five at the back. Uh, two sent two defensive midfielders, left Pogba on the bench. Uh, so it was almost a 5-2-3 with Herrera and Matic. And Klopp just dropped Firmino back into sort of a, a more withdrawn role. And essentially it was four against two in the midfield uh, to a certain extent. Obviously you had your, your midfielders, Kaiser and Fabinho, and then Firmino would drop back and outnumber them. Um, and it just showed the tactical flexibility that Klopp has versus, versus um, Mourinho. Obviously, the game hinged on the substitution as well. He brought on Shaqiri. And I actually felt at one all that United could have gone for it. 
Um, but that's not Mourinho's way. I think, you know, they could have they had Pogba on the bench, Mata on the bench, and the difference was that Klopp brought Shakiri on, and, and, and that changed the, the flow of the game, and he was the match winner. The real challenge with Solskjaer is, can he, can he kind of bring that Manchester United way back, which he will certainly look to do? I guess the question to me, from me to you, Steve, is kind of, can he do it? Has he, has he got examples in his modern time of maybe winning things in the last minute, winning things in Fergie time? Has he, has he got that ability to make changes if he, if he sees things not working? You know, he's famously um, very, uh, a, a legend off the bench. Is that, is, you know, is he going to be impacting games late on? That's what I think, because I think Mourinho's tactically had just become quite stale, to be honest. I think I remember the West Ham game, West Ham away, where it was just, I think he played McTominay at centre-back. And to be honest, it just suggested to me a guy who's, who's run out of ideas. Can Solskjaer impact that and do something with it? Does he have a plan in place? You know what I mean? Is he going to create a plan and some sort of strategy? I think it might be at times a little bit haphazard. But he does have a his sides um, do have a history of scoring late goals. I think there was a, even a run this season uh, in Norway where I think they went like in five or six games they won in a row. But a lot of them were thanks to late goals. And the other thing that if they're sort of dominating dominating a side, say two or three nil up, he will actually look to rack up the score rather than just stay put. And I think that will please quite a few fans. I mean, how many times have have United? You know, they've got control of the game. The two nil up, they're going to win the fixture. But Mourinho is just like, oh, that'll do. We'll keep it at 2-0, just pass the ball around. We don't want any more goals. And I think fans just really wanted to to see United rip up someone, you know, hammer hammer, hammer aside. So th- that's a positive. And um, I, I, my big concern is that, obviously, he's not that much, he's not a big-name manager, is he, in terms of the clubs that he's managed? So um, will he get enough respect to the players, especially as they know he's only an interim boss? On the flip side, it might work out all right because they're like, all right, you know, he's going to go uh, in May. We can just have a bit of fun here. We can probably support him quite well and all have a good time and try and enjoy our football again. So I'm I probably, overall, I'm cautiously optimistic for him, but I'm not entirely convinced. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if we look at it before we wrap it up, his, um, his, his record in his second spell at Molder uh, since rejoining, I think in 2015, was it, is uh, 118 games played. 66 games won, he's drawn 19 and lost 33, so his win rate is 56%. It's gone back to sort of roughly what it was in his first spell at Molde, just albeit without trophies. Um, if we look at his to-do list at United, I think the first thing he's got to do is he's got to rein in the kind of culture of uh, the superstar culture at United, and I think obviously learning from Ferguson, hopefully he's got a way to do that. Um, Pogba's out of control, I'll be honest with you, I think I love Pogba. I've been writing about Pogba um, for years since he was at Juventus, before Juventus, even when he was at United. Um, I, I remember his, I remember watching him at the France Under-20 World Cup where he that's the best I've ever seen Paul Pogba, really. I think um, he, he absolutely ran that tournament. Uh, he has the ability, but can, you know, I think he's lost his way slightly. Um, I question the fitness and the training methods at United. Um, Romelu Lukaku is one who's just been absolutely slammed in the, in the you know on social media recently, of course. Uh, the famous quote that people say he looks like he's playing wearing jeans. Um, and I think it's just true. I mean, I, I, lo- I like Lukaku, but I think there's an element of truth to it. He looks too bulky. He looks too heavy. I saw a video recently, uh, clips of him at Everton, and he, he, you know, his goals at Everton, and he, he looks so much lighter, much more, you know, fluid, much more uh, smooth in his m- movements, you know, a real, a real clinical finisher. Um, him and Pogba just look too heavy to me. So I think that's one of the question marks. Can, can Solskjaer maybe re... re- redesign the training can he get those superstars I mean obviously to a certain extent it doesn't matter what footballers do off the pitch I guess but you do have to question things like releasing a clothing line 
the week before the biggest game of the season from Jesse Lingard. Um, Pogba's obviously ill-timed Instagram post, which was deleted. All of it just hints at a club that, you know, the commercial side and the kind of the bling-bling and the, the flash kind of stuff, which I don't like. You know, I think that can be a cliche at times, but there's an element that it has kind of started to impact United in a way. It seems to be a lack of focus on the pitch at times. Um, I think that's number one on his to-do list. Yeah. Number think... two is obviously fixing the style of play, like you said, and just getting that kind of enthusiasm back in, in the club. There's just a real lack of enthusiasm. Fans are sort of not wanting to go to games. It's kind of just a dour atmosphere. United, City, Spurs playing much better football than, than, than the club. Even Arsenal now are starting to look, sort of look a bit better. United are falling behind the way, by the wayside and Solskjaer has to kind of maybe rejuvenate the squad and just get some enthusiasm back as well. Um, and then I think obviously number three is win games. Um, they're 11 points behind fourth. Uh, it's looking impossible for the title now, 19 points behind Liverpool, but can they get some sort of pride back and either win the Champions League, which is, I think, obviously a really difficult task, or, or get back into the Champions League via, via fourth place? Because ultimately, Manchester United, um, whether you like it or not at the moment, the biggest, their biggest priority from a Woodward point of view and a Glazer point of view is money. And if they lose out on the Champions League, they're going to lose out on money. You know, they've got contracts that are reliant, commercial contracts that are reliant on them being in the Champions League uh, with Adidas and so, and so on. Uh, and they have to be there. So really, those are the three things he has to do. Really. Yeah, I think he can, he can definitely change the training. He's, he's going to be a good training sort of manager in a post to Mourinho's more tactical side. Uh, in terms of Paul Pogba, I think United have got to do two two things with him: either sell him uh, ASAP, or actually make him the main man of the team. Actually, feed his ego and say, "Right, Paul, you're you're going to be the main man. We're going to build this team right around you in in your best position, in your focal spot, and you've got to deliver." That's the way I would handle Paul Pogba myself. But um, it's going to be yeah, really interesting how it goes. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree with you there, Stephen. I think he will. Um, put an arm around Paul Pogba and I think he will make him the focal point. I think he's already trained him at youth level, so he knows him inside out, he knows how he ticks. I think that's one exciting thing for United fans is that he will look to reintegrate those sort of attacking players like Martial, like Pogba, who Mourinho just doesn't seem to like uh, and can't seem to manage. Um, <clears throat> so that's an exciting <clears throat> exciting element of it, I think. <clears throat> and I mean, if we just end this on maybe Brout Haaland, obviously 17-year-old who's done fantastically well and has got a transfer, hasn't he, to Salzburg. Uh, was it Leipzig? I'm not sure, but he he's been a phenomenon in in Norway this season, hasn't he? Maybe just talk about him and his integration into the team, and maybe what that implies for United. Because I'll give you one name to look out for uh, United, for example, at youth level is Mason Greenwood, who's a striker who's been absolutely sensational this season. Could United fans maybe expect some youth players to be integrated into Solskjaer's team? And what's the Brett Harland situation been like? If you could just very quickly end on that, maybe. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Solskjaer has definitely brought in plenty of youth in, in Molder before. If he believes in them, he will absolutely give them um, the opportunity to shine out there. But I think the most the thing that stands out with me is how he's managed Haaland. He's um, not like... He, he's really game-managed him well in that he's not overburnt him out. He's picked him in the right sort of fixtures, uh, subbed him off at the right times. He's not tried to overdo the lad. Um, you know, sometimes when you've got a really big talent, I remember when Ray, Wayne Rooney came on the scene at Everton, they just kept playing him and playing him and playing him all the time, didn't they? Um, and I think it was kind of managed maybe a little bit wrong. Um, but um, Solskjaer has got great experience uh, dealing with younger players. And I think it will be, for, for United fans who want to see, um, you know, youth integrated back in again, if they're good enough, Solskjaer will absolutely give them a chance. Unlike when Mourinho, I read a story that uh, he... Uh, but um, in the canteen, he wouldn't allow the youth players to to, to eat in there and, and, until the senior players had finished, which is quite incredible. I don't I, that will not happen under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And I hope this has brought some value for United fans from a Norwegian point of view in terms of Solskjaer's tactics, his philosophy, what he's been doing for the last few years. We'll end it on a quote from the man himself. Uh, he was interviewed <clears throat> a few years back uh, about the club and his comment was that if he was ever asked to join United, he would be there in a heartbeat with a saying, with quotes, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. Well, Oli, you've got your wish, you're back. And all we can say on the Nordic Football Podcast is uh, best of luck. We'll be keeping an eye on how you do and uh, see you in May 2019, I guess, from our point of view. But uh, we'll be watching it very closely. Um, remember, guys, if you want to give us a follow, you can follow us on Twitter at Nordic Footpod. Be good to hear your, your views and your comments uh, from a Norwegian point of view. And we're going to be back hopefully sooner rather than later for some season review podcasts from Norway and Sweden. Give us a follow on Twitter at Nordic Footpod. Give us a like on Facebook. Give us some feedback. But apart from that, I bid you farewell. I wish you all the best. And if you don't hear from us before Christmas, then uh, season greetings to all. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.